Do you eat, sleep, dream about anything related to eye care? So do we. This is See What We See with Lauren and Martin. My name's Lauren Cashin. And I'm Martin LeBeau. We want to share anything that's cool about eye care. We want you to see what we see. So sit back and enjoy. Good morning, Lauren. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, Martin. And how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Welcome to See What We See with Lauren and Martin. Uh, here's our latest episode. Uh, we got to uh, have a quick chat with uh, one of our good friends that we've known for many, many years, a, a great optician. Uh, well, we can almost call her a superhero optician, right, Lauren? And I just want to say at the same time, today, the podcast is sponsored by Esler Luxottica Canada. And thank you to Esler Luxottica. They're great sponsors of ours. Um, so, Lauren, what does our guest for today do? Well, I, I think it goes along with our entrepreneurial spirit, what opticians do. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always finding that there's opticians out there that come up with great ideas to differentiate themselves with their practice. And uh, with Sarah, she was very fortunate, as you're going to learn, that she had a mentor that uh, was really into designing and making frames for himself. In fact, I met this gentleman at one of the shows uh, out in Vancouver, and he was demonstrating carving frames out of horn and that. So I thought it was really cool. So when it was Sarah was very uh, fortunate, uh, without giving away her story now, but to get involved. So I think this is going to be, uh, I think everyone's going to really enjoy this interview because they're going to hear something really different than one of our peers did. Absolutely. And, and Sarah, such a, a kind person. She always wanted to share her knowledge herself. Uh, we've known her for quite a few years and always the big smile on and everything. So it's, it's a great uh, opportunity for us to sit down with her and, and chat a little bit of optics. So Lauren, why don't you introduce our, our special guest for today? Well, thanks, Martin. Well, today I'm thrilled to have a friend of ours as a guest. Uh, she bills herself as an optical wizard, I think I saw. Frame designer, optical wizard. Really cool. So our, our guest today is Sarah Masurchuk. I hope I got that right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So uh, Sarah, uh, before we dive into exactly what you do, maybe you can start off by, I don't know, give us a bit of a background of who you are. Yeah, well, I'm from Regina, Saskatchewan. And when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be an optometrist. And then one of my mom's friends was an optician. And I grew up in a family, we always made our own clothes and toys, we were always kind of crafting things. And so I really liked the idea of being able to work with my hands. And so and the optician track just seemed to kind of flow better for me. And so I looked up where I could study that and saw that there was Douglas College in uh, Coquitlam in BC. So I sort of packed my bags and got in my parents' van and drove out West and then went to school there. That was sort of in the early 2000s. And then while I was in school, um, Klaus, who was the, the gentleman who owned my store previously, he had come to do a seminar on frame making and lens designing custom rimless shapes and things like that. And I remember I turned to my friend that day and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to own that guy's business one day. And then, you know, pipe dream, throw it out there. And then I sort of nervously went and applied there, got hired. And that was sort of it. 
Yeah, it's so funny. I think like, I think back on my career and like I've worn glasses since I was really little and, and like everyone in my family wears glasses. And so it was always something that felt like a natural fit. But I think you kind of you just got to wait for that person to come along that kind of inspires you, mentors you. And so I feel really fortunate that I was kind of shown a path that way with the frame making because I was able like um my mom's very creative and artistic. And so I feel like I get to kind of tie some of that that I inherited from her into the sciencey part, which is sort of my natural inclinations as well. So I kind of like this career that I got to marry both sides of my brain together. It feels sort of balanced for me. I could see, I could see getting really interested because I think I've met Klaus before out of BC and he was carving frames out of horn and different types of bone and things. That's the fella, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be really inspirational to, if you're creative. I had never even thought that that was like a thing that you could do or make. So it was neat. I was really appreciative of our teachers at Douglas because they sort of brought a bunch of people in over a few weeks that were kind of just in different facets of the optical field. As you guys know, there's all kinds of things you can do in this industry. So I just, it just totally like kind of like peaked a little bell in my head and I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. Interesting. You know what? I just learned something from you. I did not know you were from Regina. I always thought you were from Vancouver area. But as far as I've known you, and it's been, what, close to 20 years now. Yeah, no, I'm a prairie girl at heart. Really? That's so interesting. <laughs> so, sir, I got a question for you. So I know you went to work in the store because I know when we first met you, I remember at Granville Island, we came to see your store. Were you all the – were you – designing and making frames in that store even before you took it over or was it more of an optical with I, I shouldn't use the word standard because I knew you had some funky stuff there but were was that store already making custom frames Not a little bit I think um Klaus would sort of do things more for his own like amusement he would always sort of made these really kind of like wild abstract things and he was always kind of just like you said Lauren playing with different materials and um so it was it was more just kind of like a labor of love than it was something for clients that we did and it, it kind of came for me out of a little bit of necessity when the downturn sort of happened in 2010 you know funds were a little tight and I was like oh my god I have all this material here why don't I just start making some frames to sell <laughs> instead of buying them uh and it kind of just worked I made a couple and they sold right away and then I made a couple more and they sold again and so you know, it kind of just really morphed into that. And I thought, oh, I think I might be onto something here. So I started to do more, but our space on Granville Island, if you remember, it was very small. It was only 380 square feet. And so we kind of just like ran out of room. We busted at the seams. And so I needed sort of an external studio space. Uh, and I found one in Gastown where we are now. So we sort of had two spots. And then eventually I just moved everything into Gastown. And that's where we are still today how do you get your inspiration to create these frames i mean we see i mean the regular normal frame every day from some of the the, the designers and you know at some point you see the same shapes over and over again um but your stuff is 
tends to be very different and unique with different textures and and thickness and everything else. But how do you come up with these ideas? Well, thanks, Martin. It's very kind of you to say that. Um, I think I feel really lucky because I have a store too. So I get to just see what people want, what is getting missed. Um, just talking to people, like a lady came in and owned a dog grooming business. And I was like, well, why don't we put some of your dog's hair in your glasses? And it just sort of really organically happens. I find I've just sort of learned, I own my own business. I'm a bit of a control freak. And so like letting go and surrendering to things is just naturally hard for me. And so just like surrendering to that creative process, it, and oftentimes I have to make a bunch of duds before I get to the one that I like. And often things happen out of a mistake that I made that I have to fix. And I was like, oh, that kind of looks cool. And like, it's, it's very not linear at all. <laughs> you know, I, I've always wanted to ask you that question. Is, is, <laughs> it like, is, is it like the same, like the person I you know, walks in a tattoo shop and have this drawing on a napkin or like, yeah, I'd like to have this. And you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this from a napkin? Right. That thing. <laughs> Does that happen on your store? Yeah. Some people, like I just had a guy uh, up from Washington. He knows exactly what he wants and he just can't find it anywhere. Uh, the film industry too, like they know exactly what they want. They just can't find it. But a lot of times people are just sort of happy. I, we call it the maker's choice, you know, like we'll just sort of like make something for them, give them a few options. And I think it's hard when you tell someone that they can have whatever they want. It's like, where do you start with that? Like their brain kind of explodes at first. So we've learned to kind of like separate it into sort of like a mental checklist for us of steps that we kind of work them through to not make the process seem so intimidating. And then we have all our regular frames they can try on just for some inspiration. And we have all of our patterns here and our colors, they can see it. And it kind of just starts to come together. I've seen people attempt to make frames. And and I think even with our patients, a lot of them don't realize it's just not about finding colors and textures and techniques and shapes. They have to fit and actually feel comfortable. And, you know, with every, you know, we know in our day-to-day dispensing, you know, all the different bridge shapes and sizes. And so obviously, well, you're an experienced optician, so you're able to figure out how it's going to sit. You know, do you want it flat? Do you want it wraparound? Is it, you know, how do you get that bridge to, um, to be comfortable? And then my second part of the question would be, do you make it and then they put it on and go, oh, wait a minute. Um, they don't feel right. It doesn't look quite right. It's too pointy. Um, I'm going down another road here, but is there like a remake thing? Like, do you, do you know you might have to do a second type or is there, do you have things to try on to get them a little more focused as to what you're going to do? Keeping in mind, it's got to fit. Yeah, I I always tell people like you could have the nicest, most most expensive designer suit, but if it's not tailored to fit you well, it's just not going to look good regardless of what you paid for it. And I feel like glasses are the same. It's because they're so small, like millimeters matter and the fit really has to matter. And that's definitely something that I've just sort of learned over time Um, just experience doing it, trying to fix things for people. Like I've just sort of garnered whatever sort of 
12, 15 years of experience in that. And I think that's just sort of the key with learning there is to just start doing it. You know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, we definitely, we sort of have a, a few versions of frames that we make. We sort of make our Mosh Designs collection, which are frames that we've designed. The patterns are set. You can just sort of come in, you pick your shape, pick your color, pick your finish. So those we have sort of samples for people to try on. But then if we're going to do a one-off piece for people, we definitely run through um, like pattern making. We sort of do a prototype mock-up of it for them to come in and try on. Because definitely we just want to make sure things fit. I find the first time I make a pattern, like it's it just usually needs a little bit of tweaking. Sometimes when you see it in your mind and on a piece of paper, it's a little bit different than when it is in sort of a three-dimensional form. Um, so yeah, we definitely pattern make, we prototype all that kind of stuff. And I have had, I think out of the hundreds, I think I've made like 500 frames. I had one person really not like them. And I, I'm happy, you know, we just sold that frame on our frame board and we just made her something else. Like I'm confident that what we make is cool enough that, you know, if she didn't like it, someone else would. Now, I mean, when you started 10, 15 years ago, obviously everything was, I'm presuming everything was done by hand and you continue to do so. Uh, but with the technology now that's evolving all the time, and we're talking about 3D printers and all these things, do you utilize this type of technology, like AutoCAD, to, to create some of the design? Or you still just go, you know, back to the roots and just start from scratch? When I, I we use a, a variation of things, like to sort of just come up with a, a frame shape first. I do like to just sketch it out, then I cut it out on some thick paper. Um, just to sort of visualize it on a face a little bit. So I still like to start that way, um, but definitely one of the most time-consuming kind of bottleneck parts of the process was the pattern making. And so um, one of our staff here, she's an industrial designer. And so she got me into not quite AutoCAD, that's a little bit sophisticated for the kind of cuts that, that we're making, but we use um, Illustrator and we do our designing on that. And then she'll go and she'll do kind of all the calibration and the setting, turn it into the G code needed to run the CNC machine kind of stuff. Um, so she'll do that part, but that's still just like one step out of the 29 that we still need to do as well. But it is, it is nice to kind of see it more pristine and precise in a digital drawing. And then for replication purposes, I just don't have to store a bunch of physical patterns anymore. Like I have it all just on the cloud, on my iPad and it's, uh, and it looks like more impressive, I think, too. But I, I always like marrying the two together, sort of the pencil, the paper, the scissors, cutting it out, phase one, then we'll make some patterns, we'll sort of digitize it for phase two. So and I like to involve the clients in each of those processes, so they get to kind of see the full gamut of equipment that we use. So with all your hundreds and hundreds that you've made, mm -hmm. Do you have one that sticks out in your mind, which was the craziest request you ever had? And did you go through and make it or did you have to bring them back down to earth? <laughs> we ask ourselves that all the time. Like, what is like our limit on that? Like, where would we say no to something? But we did have um, our clients uh, sort of animal related, but uh, his dog had ashes. And so we put the ashes in some acetate. 
Oh, interesting. Very cool. I can say I've never really seen ashes before and they're not super ashy. They're, you know, there's like bits and pieces in there. And so like the frame has all these like really interesting textures. And But that was sort of a, that was an unusual one, but it looks really, really, really cool. And I mean, for that client, it means so much to him. He's He's got like a bunch of frames and stuff. So this is just a really cool piece that he can just sort of wear for show. Have you had any celebrities or any big shots come in and ask you to do anything that's different? Not like directly, but I've gotten to make, there's all kinds of things being filmed in Vancouver. So I, um, I got to make a pair of glasses for the newest Disney movie with Peter Pan and Wendy and all kinds of Netflix productions and yeah. 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 We're kind of the place, like there's, there's lots of places where they source uh, vintage eyewear and other frames from, but you know, if they want something like just really kind of character-y or like the one for Disney was, he was so little, this little boy, there were, there was this tiny little pair of glasses that I just made. And so, so that's kind of cool, but I feel like we're still a bit of an untapped gem in that sense. So. And can you maybe take us through a process from start to finish and how long it takes uh, for you to produce um, a typical uh, custom-made frame for you? Not maybe something with ashes and stuff. that would probably take a little bit longer. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'd say on average, like eight to 10 hours of time. And it, I find it best if we can do them in batches instead of just doing one frame complete from start to finish. So we tend to sort of have them like every second month we start a batch and it runs sort of for the two, the two months, just because we're a small operation here. We have to do all the things like the dispensing and the selling and the adjusting and the repairs. We have to sort of factor in time for that as well. So our usual production time, we tell people six to eight weeks, Um, but we start out you know, with the pattern, all that stuff, we do the cuts, then we put in the bevel, we scoop out the back to give the frame some shape and some contour. And then depending on the finish, they can sort of round off the edges just to give it like a nice smooth contour around the eye wire. Then once we sort of do like our quality checkpoint there, we'll sort of go on to all the bridge work. So we'll add on the acetate pieces, we'll punch the bend in the bridge and then we'll start prepping it the, the most time consuming part is the sanding and the polishing so we sort of go through like three phases of sanding and then the polishing is the final stage and that part i think would take between sort of four to six hours usually we just um bought ourselves a, a frame tumbler so we'd have to do just like a little bit of prep, like an hour's worth of prep. And then it kind of sits in the tumbler for three days, um, just in various, there's each barrel, there's sort of three rough, medium, fine, and then a, a polished barrel. So it sits in there. And then once that's all done, we go through and do hinges and temple designing. So we'll drill the little holes, countersink some holes. We do heat sink hinges, mostly in our frames, install that. And then it's just sort of frame assembly. Speaking of tumbling, mm-hmm. so I've wondered about this. We used to hear that they use different types of wood. Is that still what happens? And so obviously for the different stages of tumbling, you have different textures on whatever the medium is. So what is it actually in those tumblers that the frame tumbles in? 
they're tiny little wood pellets and it's, it's not so much the wood that's doing the work. You end up, um, there's like pastes, like sort of like polishing paste. It's sort of in a bar format that you would then sort of brush onto a spinning wheel, polishing wheel. But in this one, it's, you sort of just like scoop, you know, put a, put a scoop of it in. And then the little wood pellets sort of act as a medium to break up the paste and get the paste like onto the frame. So we use the same wooden, they're like tiny little pegs that are maybe a centimeter big and maybe three millimeters wide, sort of like little arrow shaped things. And so they'll go in there. We use the same wooden pegs in all barrels, but we just use different pastes in each of the barrels. I see. And then the paste sort of starts to turn into these little balls in there. And every year we usually have to kind of change out all the media, the the wooden pegs and and stuff and just start fresh again when it's not really as effective as it was in the beginning. How do you do a matte finish? Like I'm picturing everything getting shiny from tossing. Can you do matte or frosted looking it finish? It starts matte. So the rough one is like pretty matte. And then the second barrel, I would say is sort of like a satin matte. And that's, if someone wants that finish, that's usually where we leave off. And wow. then it requires a little bit of um, just some hand sanding at the end. And then the third barrel, so I said I had four barrels, but there's only three total. The third barrel is if they want it, the glossy polish. But before we had um, this amazing tumbler, we would just do it with some sandpaper, like a 220 grit. You just sort of, you know, hit all the parts of the frame and mat it like that. Well, it's about the process. <laughs> I, it can be, but I think once you do it a few times, like we've sort of like honed it. Okay. We know it takes this much time for this step. And yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I first opened my business, it was something that was interesting. In. And then I figured, oh my gosh, do I have the time to do this? Um, that seems to be quite the investment uh, as well to get some of the machinery. Um, I'm sure you have tons of opticians asking you the same questions. How did you get started? How how do you do this? How do you find the time? Um, what do you tell an optician that that will be interested in uh, in creating their own uh, eyewear, basically? Mm, it's... I definitely couldn't run my whole business based on that. It's, it's so labor intensive. Like we, we make money on it, but like kind of the same amount of money that we make on any of our markup frames. Um, so it, it's, it's a good sort of add on to an existing business. It's also just sort of cool marketing fodder as well. People kind of like that too. So not everyone comes in and buys a, a handmade frame, but just being able to buy a frame from a place that has those sort of options um, gives us some credibility, I think. So uh, further to Martin's question, I noticed you have workshops. So who are these workshops geared towards? Another professional or the general public? Yeah, everybody. So I think like it's really not hard to make frames, you know, like if you think about it, like we, we mostly use woodworking tools, jewelry, um, making tools. Like it's not hard to find machines that can do cuts and bevels and polishing and things like that. You know, so that's sort of how like Klaus taught me a little bit, but I sort of had to figure out a lot of 
you know, the other 60%, I sort of figured out by looking at other people's workshops, just talking YouTube, just going down the rabbit hole. I'm always finding new things. I just found this cool new ceramic scraper that a guy was using to make prosthetic legs to do finishing work on that. So that picked up that. And, um, but I know it's, it's nice to just have a little bit of an inside start. And so our workshops, um, we're doing, we started them just before COVID, like, like in February of 2020, and then obviously had to put those on hold. Um, so we're doing our first one post COVID in a couple of weeks. And there's a couple of people that are coming that aren't in the optical field at all. And then the rest of them are opticians, a couple from Winnipeg, Kamloops, Nanaimo. So, so with the workshop, so if I was to sign up for your workshop, so I get to make my own frame, like I go through the whole process and how many sittings will it take to, for me to walk away with my frame? Yeah. So it's, it's a three day course. Cause I also, we talk a little bit about acetate, how it's made, the processes. Um, it just is going to take longer the first time you do something because you're just sort of figuring it out. So we sort of have it broken into a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday workshop. So the first day is sort of like designing, pattern making, first cuts. The second day is mostly just the sanding and the polishing and then doing some prep on the temples. And then the third day is more about the final assembly. And then you get to leave with your own creation that you designed and made. And a little bit of extra knowledge, like for people that are in the optical field, it's great, even though you, you might not want to go home and start making frames in your shop, but each of those steps could be useful to you in other ways for repair work, modifications, just fitting people. I think just knowing how things are made just helps you sell better, helps create a story. That's pretty cool. It's like really, it sounds really intense, but it's just like the days just fly by. Well, again, we're, we're lucky because we've known you for a long time. We know your personality, so we know it would be lots of fun to do, do something. <laughs> like that. Uh, especially with the energy that you have. Uh, so how do people find out about your workshop? Do you have a, a, a website or is it uh, a social media uh, feed that uh, people can visit to, to see when you're putting on these workshops? Yeah, we have, there's a workshop page on our website, moshframemakers.com. And then we are going to be doing some stuff, um, you know, with some of the optical magazines, some of the schools, uh, social media push, but then also just like design people, design adjacent people, anyone who's like an aficionado, like that one of the ladies who's coming, she's a client of ours and she's got lots of pairs of glasses and it's just sort of, you know, how cool is it to have one in your own collection that you made yourself? And so I'm hoping word of mouth will sort of spread a little bit too, but I, I definitely don't ever underestimate the importance of some marketing and advertising. Well, we'll we'll add your uh, your link to uh, to this podcast for sure. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in knowing and how and where they can get that done. Yeah, do you, do you yeah. On, do you plan on expanding on this workshop thing, or is it just like a little extra thing you want to do? Or do, well, I guess you'll have to see how the first one goes and see what the because I could see if you put it out there that what a cool thing you know, especially for any of those clients out there that are into eyewear. What's better than designing your own and making it and wearing it? Like it's cool. Whether you have your dog's ashes in it or your cat's hair or the feather from your budgie, I don't know. Kind of weird. 
I'm sure if you expand it, can you imagine some of the weird stuff people might want to stick in there? Remember what's with Andrea Jolie and what's that guy's name? They oh, kept yeah, Billy Bob And they walked around with little a little tube of blood on a, of each other's blood on and a necklace. You know, I thought that was the weirdest thing. But I think with frames, you have a little more flexibility. You could probably put anything in them and really freak people out right yeah yeah it's always I will we'll almost try anything um but I I think it's like I have lots of ideas my brain is always just like filled with all kinds of things so I have this giant document so yes I plan on doing more courses I'd love to do like a like an online version you know just sort of a quicker you know, it's so much better if you can be here and like touch the machines and like do it so you can get a really good feel for it. But I know that's just not feasible for everybody. Um, so I want to do an online version and then I want to do kind of smaller, like 30 minute courses of each of those steps as well. And I'd love to do one. We could take it on the road, have like a portable version. So, I mean, who knows, who knows where that'll go, but I do. I like teaching. I like sharing my knowledge with people, especially I, I mean, I'm 45 now. So I'm kind of like looking in more to the back half of my career. And so I like the idea of leaving a bit of a legacy behind and inspiring the next generation to step into that place. Well, I, I have no doubt you're going to do great with this. I mean, people, uh, people, I shouldn't say people, I should say opticians that are really passionate about their job, they eat that stuff up, right? It, you just kind of live, breathe and, and you know, smoke if you want eyewear and optical knowledge. <laughs> well, you go to Vancouver, you know, it could be fun. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know. No judgment here, yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, well, no, I could definitely see this something happen. I mean, I would love to go down for, you know, you go down for a week, you spend three days doing this. Want to come hang out in Vancouver? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We might have to have a look at some of those dates that you got going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to like. I think we've got um, three more scheduled for this year, and then next year I'm hoping to do like five or six. So we'll see. Martin, I got a great idea for our uh, our uh, trade show education days. Why don't we for next year have a big draw? And we send somebody, a lucky winner, to oh. Vancouver to a workshop with Sarah. Oh, I got goosebumps. That's, I think that's, that's a unique prize. Absolutely. I yeah. think we can make that happen. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I would be in for that for sure. Yeah. yeah love it. I we'll think have to talk some more about this, huh? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know where to find me. <laughs> that's right. So do you see anything else in the future for Sarah and Mosh Frame Makers? Do you have big plans aside from my, I know you got your workshops and everything you've told me. It sounds like it's just still blossoming, but do you have any other big plans for the future? Where are you going to go with your store? You know, my big plans is to have less plans. Ah. I think, yeah, COVID just kind of like shook me pretty hard and made me reflect a little bit on how I was working and how much I was working and like, do I really like, like this and all that kind of stuff. And yes, I like it, but I, I wasn't really loving how I was working. And so I've sort of purposely 
structured our business now. So we we moved since COVID happened into a little bit more off the beaten path place. Um, we're kind of hidden in a building. We don't have a street front location. We mostly do by appointment only. We do take walk-ins as well. Like if there's time, there's no one in, in between there. And so I just, I like sort of a slower pace, I think for myself and not such pressure. Like I don't need to chase this constant growth all the time. You know, I'm happy with just enough you know, I've got a couple staff that work with me and they make a good living wage. I can make a good living wage. I can save for my retirement. I can teach some workshops and hopefully not burn out in the process. But I think I'm kind of just looking for a little bit more of a mellow, a mellow pace. And COVID had that effect on a lot of people to sit back, reflect mm-hmm. and rethink how they like to uh, spend their I was going to say remaining days. That sounds terrible. <laughs> their life, okay. I mean, I get it. I get where you're going. Life balance, work-life balance, right? We're hearing that that uh, a lot more now. Right? Yeah, and it's hard. Like, I don't know if work-life balance <clears throat> exists. Going off on a bit of a tangent here, and I think I've tried to stop sort of chasing that because it just made me feel bad about myself. And you know, it's okay to like work a little bit more, but I think I don't know the idea of a four-day work week. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well, is it work really when you enjoy what you're doing? It doesn't feel like work, right? Yes, sometimes. Uh, No, there's all the behind the scenes stuff. Like, I I really like, I don't love bookkeeping. If I have to stare at a computer for like more than 30 minutes, I'm kind of like, oh, oh my gosh. But, you know, talking to people, selling, yes. Like that, that kind of part I really, really love. And you're right, Martin, it's it isn't. And I, I'm fortunate, like it sort of dawned on me. I was like, I own my own business. I can change it however I want. Like, why am I just like suffering in this sort of mode? And that had just never occurred to me before. And I would have been way too scared to do anything like this before COVID, but people shop so differently now. And all, like all stores I'm noticing are closing an extra day. And I'm like, I think that's really cool. So yeah. Well, and, oh my God, you guys get this. So we're only open 60% of our original hours and we're making more money now than we did before. Wow. Yep. We had our best March like ever. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, but, I think that's those, right. That, that yeah. you're growing into um, the type of business and you're able to shift the way you see things to actually match with your clients and and the way you want to work. And I think, again, that makes your life a lot easier that way and more profitable by the sounds of it. Yeah. We can only compete on our service as a sort of an independent business. And I think just having like, so we book our consultations, like if someone wants to come in and look, we give it one hour and it just gives us the freedom to just chat and they can sit down and, I don't know, we can just catch up. Like it doesn't all have to be kind of optical stuff. Like some of our clients have been with us since I was like 20 years old. So, you know, you just become so friendly with them all. Like it's nice to catch up and hear how they're doing. And I think people just really appreciate like caring and, you know, they care about us. We care about them. I think that's has definitely been um, the model that really suits the way that we're working now. It just enhances that. I think what you're you're displaying is the epitome of where the independent has to go in the future, because mm-hmm. you can't 
keep banging your head against the wall, trying to compete with the masses. Uh, there's there's a place for every business model in the optical industry right now. And for us to chase after the chain stores, which provide a service and price points for wherever somebody wants to be. But you you said that you hit it on the head right there. All we have is our service and our relationships. And I think that's obviously the future for the independent. I strongly believe there'll always be a future for the independent. Some people you'll see on Facebook, they'll be crying, say the days of the independent are slowly winding down. No, we're very fortunate to be in an industry where it's a one-on-one with a patient or client. So it's in our hands to make that experience amazing for them and to differentiate ourselves. So uh, I think the independent will survive as long as you don't jump into a market like $59.95 and try to compete with somebody who's just going to sell a pair of glasses for $49 down the street from you next year. So I think uh, what you're doing, you took an extra step further, which being having this real unique custom frame business. So you're you're the epitome of of the um, opportunities for an independent optician, for sure. Thanks. Yeah, like a lot of those were really scary decisions to make, uh, just, you know, with just changing our, the way that we operate and things like that. But I think, you know, we've been here for two years now, this new location and it's just not having to worry so much about finances has, uh, wow. The tough one. Oh man, man, it's stressful. Yeah. That's yeah. probably one of the highest stress for any independent, right? Is the financial parts. Uh, and most of us, we hate doing the bookkeeping. And like you said earlier, do QuickBooks or simply account, whatever it is. The last thing we want to do is actually sit in front of a computer every night and do this. We want to look after patients. We want to chat with our clients and have that amazing relationship because that's why they come and see you because they want to sit down. They want to know about your family. They want to know about what you did last weekend. They just don't want to have that. Oh, give me that pair of glasses quickly and I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. Where it's just a transaction. Cause I think like glasses, like people keep them like two, three years, they need all kinds of maintenance. You know, like when, when you end your sale with them, that's not the last time that we hope to see our clients. Like we do, we have a pretty awesome follow-up process, I think too, where we're always just keeping in touch with people and um, like our email lists, we, have like a really high open rate on it because we don't tend to just try to send an email when there's something to say, you know, it's not like every second day we're sending out something. And so our clients, I find they're really loyal and they helped us get through COVID too. You know, like one lady just called me and said, I'm, how can I help you? Can I just come and buy some glasses? I was like, yes. (laughs) And and she did. It was so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that brings us back. It's important that, you know, uh, opticians and independents are part of their community. And that's how the community pays back as well. Right? It's it's huge. I mean, you're engaged now, like uh, Gastown, sorry, like you've mentioned. And I know this is a close-knit community down there. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you, through tough times, they're there to help you out. And when they're going through a tough times, you're there to help them out as well. Yeah. And I, I try to, like make friends with other opticians in my industry too, like to not have the mindset of like competition, but more of like, I don't know if collaboration is the right word, but like, you know, like, why can't we be friends and, and hang out and like, like talk about the challenges of, you know, even though we're technically sort of trying to chase the same client, but I think, you know, we all do something a little bit 
different, that there's like, you know, a reason for all of us to have a piece of that pie. And I think just collectively, um, it just sort of helps the industry. And I also think like being a little bit closer to your competition is good. You know, like in Gastown, there's a few optical stores and it just makes it kind of a place where oh, people are like, I need some glasses. Let's go there. Cause there's a few places to go and they'll kind of shop around and then they'll just pick the place that they felt the best at. So I don't ever take offense to them not buying glasses with us. Cause there's lots of good places. And there's lots of people who wear glasses. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's growing every day. <laughs> yeah. And the glasses are so cool. Like people just really, like, I think a lot of people now don't see them just as like vision aids. It's, you know, you know, like a, a second pair or a third pair, like that is so common for people now, a pair with transitions, a pair for sunglasses. Well, you know, Martin and I have been friends with you for a lot of years mm-hmm. and we're thrilled to see what you've done. They really take and be so unique and to, to take that risk and everything else and to, to go down that road. And uh, we're so happy that you're successful with it. And we're so happy that you took the time to speak with us because we've we've talked about interviewing you for a while. And, you know, because you've 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 graced us with presenting at uh, one of our COVID uh, webinars, actually. And you showed a lot of, you know, our members how to make frames and you did a bang up job there. So we've been just waiting for this opportunity. So we thank you for for give, taking the time to talk with us today. Hey, Martin, it's it's a good one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I love Sarah. Sarah's awesome. Uh, she was one of the first uh, opticians that I got to meet at, at some of those uh, association meeting. We're both like the, the young kids on the block when we started. I know. Right? Yeah. Uh, seems like... Uh, it was yesterday, even though it was probably a few years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, I couldn't be more thrilled for you. Uh, you're an inspiration, honestly, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of opticians. Uh, keep up the great work. And I can't actually wait to see you. Uh, hopefully it'll be real soon. Thanks, you guys. And like right back at you. Like I, being part of the association and being able to participate with all of you guys was definitely some of my, my, my most fondest memories. And I miss it a lot. And it's, it was so nice to see you guys in March when I came out, that was like really great. So thank you. And thank you for just spreading the word. I appreciate you thinking of me too. All the best. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks you guys. Well, what a great uh, podcast, right, Lauren? I enjoyed this interview. Mind you, I shouldn't say that. I enjoy all our interviews. But whenever we get to interview a friend, right, Martin, it's it's a a successful friend. She's doing something really cool. I learned a little about, about, you know, frames, how to make them. And uh, she's really piqued my interest. I'd love to have a trip and go out to Vancouver and uh, take one of her little uh, workshops. Well, I'm definitely going to start looking at my schedule and see if I can fit that in somewhere because I think it'll be very, very interesting. Um, and again, Sarah, it's just, you know, she gets it. She knows how it works. She knows how to differentiate herself. She's got that joie de vivre and, uh, you know, that energy uh, that's always great to be around. Yeah, well, I'm, I figure as I'm in the twilight of my career, I think a good topper for me would be to have a frame designed and manufactured by Sarah or even manufactured, handmade by me. Wouldn't that be a good topper to the end of a career? It all culminates to where you're you're in a little workshop and you make your own frame. I think I, that's- I agree. Actually, that would be pretty cool. You know, we've seen a lot of frames over our career. 
Um, maybe you a little bit more than I have. Um, but you know, we have our favorites that we've seen, or like, oh my gosh, this was the best frame I've ever had. And now maybe you get to design that best frame you ever had, but with a slight twist to it and put your own rubber stamp on it. Well, so, here's a, the twist you're talking about, Martin. So here, so if I'm going to do a frame, Sarah mentioned a couple of really interesting things that people wanted in their frame, whether it was ashes from a deceased animal or friend <laughs> or some hair from your cat. I, I, after we did that, you know, I'm wondering, what what do I want it buried into my frame you know I, I don't know what could be unique i don't i don't have any pets that i want a piece of them in there <laughs> how about temples that are like pd rulers that'd be interesting yeah yeah maybe if i'm still working in the store maybe because that <laughs> mind you it would be a conversation starter when you're standing in a lineup at the grocery store because of course that's when people look at each other's frames but anyways the bottom line is Good on you, Sarah. As they say, you're doing something unique and you're sharing your skills. Exactly. No, thank you again, Sarah. Thank you to Essler Luxotica Canada for sponsoring this episode of uh, See What We See with Lauren Martin. Till next time, Lauren. All the best. Thank you for listening to See What We See. This podcast is brought to you by the Ontario Opticians Association. For more information or to become a member, go to our website at www.ontario-opticians.com. For all the latest updates, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Ontario Opticians Association, on Twitter, OOA underscore Frontline, and on LinkedIn, Ontario-Opticians-Association. Don't miss an episode of See What We See and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming service. Thank you from the Ontario Opticians Association, the voice of opticians for 75 years.